Welcome to the main course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. And today we're gonna to talk about growing a restaurant, which kind of sounds like it may be an odd time to do that, but um, you know, a lot of a lot of restaurants saw some uh, traction going on in the pandemic and they kind of have to roll with that and and try and build on something. Um, so with me today is Lauren Fernandez, who is the founder and CEO of Full Course. So welcome, Lauren. Um, first, um, you know, tell me a little bit about your background and how it led into the forming of Full Course. Yeah, um, so I am an attorney by profession. I have nearly two decades of experience in product development and commercialization, which is how I ended up as the general counsel at Focus Brands. And at Focus Brands, I worked with a lot of the brands to help add consumer packaged goods to the, to the overall restaurant brand offering, whether that be Cinnabon or many of the other brands that we had in-house. And, you know, during that time really saw the added value of having differentiated revenue streams to these restaurant brands, not only to help the franchisees with their sales, but to create really great offerings to induce brand trial and loyalty in the marketplace, as well as just some really solid brand awareness. Um, when I left Focus Brands, I really was doing similar work in a private consulting capacity, but I also um, started a restaurant development company called Origin with a partner, and we invested in, and I was the operating partner for, in the end, 11 chicken salad chick units. So we bought three, um, turn them around very quickly. And then I was just off to the races. In 20 months, I opened eight more units and I had three more under construction and more even in the development pipeline when we ended up strategically selling our units back to the parent company in the end of 2018. It was Eagle Merchant, uh, was the then owner of Chicken Salad Chick brand. So I exited successfully and I took a pause for the first time in my life. I took a legitimate sabbatical and I had a chance to think and reflect on my experience. And it really informed so much of what Full Course is today. I have for almost a decade had a vision of really helping emerging restaurant brands develop multiple channels of revenue and really a solid growth strategy that can support the rapid growth of the business and really just make the business itself more financially uh, viable, if you will, because restaurants are notoriously difficult with their profit margins. And, you know, my experience as an operator showed me a lot of other things that I felt like we needed to address in the solution that later became full course. One of them is there's not a lot of minority or female restaurant brand owners and even less operators. And I feel like for such an entrepreneurial model, especially when franchising is attached, that's really a shame. Um, there's not often enough capital flowing down to that level. Even so, um, if you are an independent restaurant owner, um, franchised or not, you know, actually 70% of all restaurant locations are just a single unit. That's a family owned business, whether you realize that or not, you know, and those kind of single unit operators are in need of a playbook of deeply understanding the economic value of growing their restaurant brand to a larger market where middle market private equity might be a possible buyer. Um, and the simple fact is one to three restaurants might only be worth two or two and a half times your profit margin. 
But when you get up to the higher number of units and you have a management team and a growth plan and you're expanding, suddenly other buyers are available to you in the marketplace, shooting the valuation up sometimes to even double digit multiples. That playbook and how to get there with all the systems, strategies, documentation and materials that you need are really kind of obscured to a lot of independent restaurant owners. And, you know, I think that a big piece of that, too, is even if you can figure out what a solid development plan looks like, the capital is a problem. So we have to not just give the playbook to people. If we want to encourage diversity and inclusion amongst restaurant brands that are represented regionally and nationwide, we really have to give them coaching and the capital. And that is what Full Course is about. So Full Course helps independent restaurant owners who primarily are in the fast, casual, or limited service segment grow their brands, usually from somewhere between two to three units to 20 plus. We do that through strategic consulting and support of the business owners in the leadership position. We take a minority stake of 49% with our capital injection and our development team helps execute that capital for restaurant owners. So they can worry about what they do best operating their restaurant, leading their team, making the restaurant a place where customers and employees want to come. And we focus on executing that growth plan for them. So we truly become an investor, but more so a development partner for these early stage restaurant brands. Right. So you founded right in the fall of 2019 mm -hmm. and then yeah. the pandemic <laughs> and it kind of changed restaurant business. Um, so, you know, how did it change your company? You know, how, yeah. how did you guys have to pivot? Yeah. So, you know, we have the full course logo is a compass intentionally. I created this company to, aligned to my true north, we put people first. I was always raised and I deeply feel that my purpose is to use my skills, my talents, my education, my opportunities and service to others. And so when the pandemic hit and I was in the middle of thinking, okay, how do we launch? How do we talk about full course? It just seemed wrong to talk about investment and growth at that time. I instead focused on what the market needed, what our what our restaurateurs needed was to figure out off-premise sales. Was at that moment in time absolutely critical to survival, how to set up third-party delivery, how to figure out profit margins, what menu items don't belong on a menu because you can't make the margin back with delivery fees attached to it, right? Um, so I focused on education and indeed the first investments that we made in full course in our capital structure were back into our education platform, which to this day is a massive hallmark of us as an investor. We focus on educating restaurateurs of all levels and we do that through free and paid content on our education platform. And while that was an innovation and a step that we took during the pandemic, it will always be a major feature of Full Course, so much so that we are in plans right now to create a 501c3 charitable enterprise that will allow us to provide even more free and scholarship-related content to the consuming restaurant public. 
So let's talk a little bit about that. You have something called Launch. Yeah. Um, so how, you know, how did that come about and and really who is it targeted for and, and really kind of go over what it is and what it does? Yeah, so it came up because, again, we were reacting to what we were seeing in the marketplace. And I am out there hunting every day to bring diversity and inclusion to restaurant ownership and to put more cultural representative flavors out in the marketplace. And one of the things I kept seeing, and it was truly sad when I realized this, was I suspect that a large number of the brands that would be perfect for investment for us never make it past the first unit. Indeed, the first unit probably fails in the first year. And to improve the success rate of not just these restaurant brands that we're looking to bring out to the larger marketplace, but to give, again, that playbook to the people who need it the most, my team and I put together a 12-step playbook, and it was kind of like um, we just had a major mind up. We were like, okay, what's everything you need to know in from step one through step 12 to get a restaurant open, starting from picking the right real estate, defining the brand premise, all the way through to a grand opening. So we distilled it down into 12 key modules and we run it once a year as a live workshop, but you can also buy the modules as a recorded workshop with all the tools and workbooks with it. Um, or you can buy individual modules if you're a little farther along in your journey. Like let's say you've already picked your real estate and you need help on the branding or you need help on menu design. So we really wanted to make sure that we were, we were providing to the market the incubator that early stage restaurant brands really need. And I'm very excited because Launch has been so successful that we are looking at creating a separate standalone incubator for early stage restaurateurs who may, maybe they've been in a food hall, maybe they've had a pop-up, maybe they had a food truck, maybe they are a catering business, maybe they just have an idea and maybe looking towards other ways that we could help execute the brand in a way that was educational and coaching and mentoring before they even have to choose a restaurant location. So we're really looking at kind of even what Launch 2.0 is going to look like now, maybe with some grant money attached to it so that we can help offset some more of the expense. But it's been really a great experience helping coach and mentor in those early stage brands. So what are some of those key mistakes you see early restaurateurs making that doesn't get them out of the first few years? Yeah. So the first one that I see all the time is it's the right horse in the wrong race. And that's a real estate decision. So if you don't deeply understand your brand premise and who the ideal customers for are and what your day part segmentation looks like, you could easily put the pin in the wrong place on the map, that is a very, very hard bell to unring. You know, once you're in the wrong spot, and I've had this happen to me, I inherited a location that wasn't necessarily perfectly aligned to the brand and the day part segmentation. And, you know, tens of thousands of dollars into marketing, boots on the ground, you know, community awareness, PR never moved the needle past a certain point. And so I feel like really spending the time to understand the brand and who the target customers are and where they are at what time of day is really critical. That's kind of mistake number one. I, I think the second thing that I see often is owners really not understanding how to delegate and to scale themselves up and out of the business. 
ideally you are running a business that's designed to have managerial staff in place so you can work on growing the business and not be in position in the business. And I think for a lot of owners, whether it's a financial issue or they're having trouble letting go or delegating certain tasks, that's usually the second issue is they think that they're helping, but they're actually hurting themselves and the growth of the restaurant at the same time. And that's usually issue number two. Um, And number three, I think they spend the marketing dollars in the wrong place um, and spend them too late. I am a huge proponent of coming out of the box of the bang, a huge, big grand opening, but spending those marketing dollars very wisely. You'd be shocked at how far $10,000 can go when you allocate it between PR, VIP events, soft openings, and a lot of social media. Creating that kind of organic buzz from PR and reinforcing it with strong social media presence inviting the community to comment and to interact with the brand before you're even opening is really kind of a secret sauce. And I think really thoughtful grand openings can make or break a a brand and not doing that correctly, I think is a big mistake that's hard to recover from. So you mentioned that you spend a lot of time trying to identify these brands that have potential. So what exactly do you do? Are you out there boots in the ground, eating at all these places all the time? (laughs) Um, You know, listening to people who said, try this, try that. Um, And when you go there and you see something, what is it about something that you say, you know, this is something that, that is, will work? What a fantastic question. So Um, surprisingly, the vast majority of our clients come to us through referral. So they have either heard about us themselves and and contact us directly, which is one major source, or honestly, they're coming to us from our investors, referring in concepts that they've identified, existing clients, referring someone in, and our extensive vendor network. Uh, We have a very strong referral and vendor partner program where all of those various vendors who service restaurants are out there constantly seeing restaurants that need our help and our support, whether it's our full investment or development track or maybe some a la carte consulting services that are customized to what they need, um, you know, whatever that is, the vast majority of folks come to us through referral. Um, indeed, when we are screening brands, We do an initial assessment where we ask a lot of deep questions about the brand, the financials, the people, the marketing, the menu, and really kind of go deep and do an operational site visit. But more importantly, let's talk like kind of qualitatively about what we're looking for. I can't stress this enough. We hustle really hard for our clients and we work really hard. This is not easy work to do, but we love what we do. For this to work, it's truly an alignment and a partnership. So we need owner operators who are bought into the way that we grow brands. They clearly understand the value proposition. They view us as a partner and they have as much hustle as we do. You know, besides that, we're looking for brands that bring an innovative 
and unique point of view to the marketplace. Um, a lot of times that carries with it a cultural element, which is wonderful and fits nicely into our diversity and inclusion initiatives. So, you know, we're out there just kind of checking out what's in the marketplace. It is a fun job to be able to, to eat and enjoy all these different restaurants. Um, we see a lot of different offerings, but we're looking for the, the real, the hustle, the authentic and differentiated offering, a great brand story, and really good, good, solid brand leadership that we can work with and continue to evolve them as a leader of the company and the brand. As you were talking, I was thinking ex exactly, you know, the importance of the brand story. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you're talking to these people, how important to you is that brand story that they're trying to relate um, that then you could see how other people would relate to it? Easily top three. You know, I really saw the power of brand story when I was a franchisee with Chicken Salad Chick. Stacy Brown's story hooked me. She was a female entrepreneur, a single mom, a working mom. And I was like, where do I sign? You know, and our customers constantly would be like, are you Stacy? They would see me running around with my kids in the store and be like, are you Stacy? And I'm like, no, I'm not Stacy, but I am one of the franchisees of the brand, you know? So it was so interesting how the power of that story resonated with our customers and really created an, an insane amount of brand loyalty before we ever even got to love on them in our restaurants. And so that is so, so, so critical. And I think that's really the backbone of the difference between a good brand and a great brand, especially in today's tough labor market. You know, being very clear on the purpose and mission and the story of the brand is what creates alignment with your employees and they understand their value proposition. And then in the end with your customers, it becomes so much more than food. It's a connection to the brand that's deeper and it's reinforced with your actions in the experience in the restaurant. Right. So you just mentioned staffing, also dealing with supply chain, now inflation, um, you know, and it's like these hits of all of this stuff going on. So, you know, what is some advice that you're that you're giving to people to kind of um, sustain themselves throughout all of this and think about a growth plan? Mm -hmm. So I'm a firm believer and people are really what restaurants are about. And so we cannot consider growth for any restaurant unless there's a solid team. And that's the first thing we do. We look at the team. We look at where the talent gaps are. We look at where the opportunities are to really round out the leadership and the management of the company. And we start there. And one of the things that we do to attract and retain talent is we are very generous and we do this always at a client level. So it's a little different for each client, but huge, ab the ability to offer opportunities to your incoming management team is incredibly important. It has to be bigger than just profit sharing. It has to be better and bigger than just wage wars. That's not really what this is about. If you really think about this, over 70% of the workforce that's hourly in restaurants is between the ages of 16 to 34. Demographically, you know, and generationally, they just look for different things. And I think as an industry, this is the time for us to look inside and really start thinking about why we're doing this. 
If you can get an articulation and a point of view behind why, your purpose and your mission, you will get better alignment from those employees in the end because you've got to create opportunities for them to live that purpose out too. So it's about being clear what you stand for and what you're about, giving opportunities to the employees and management to have ownership and execution over that and rewarding them for that, giving them some runway for growth personally and professionally. You know, I, I like that idea. I love franchising because the idea of entrepreneurship and opportunity. And I love generally the idea of giving opportunity to all levels of staff in the organization. Their dream may be to own a franchise someday. But their dream might also just be to own their own car. So you have to create incentives, rewards, and different kinds of paths to allow them to grow as people. I was reading a study recently. I believe the source was Technomic. But the point is, they were saying that a lot of folks who are under the age of 24 are leaving their restaurant jobs. And yeah, they're jumping to higher pay. But that's not actually the motivation for them leaving. They're leaving because they don't have philosophical alignment with the company. They're leaving because they feel unappreciated by their manager. And they're leaving because they don't have friends at work. That is so sad. And we can do better as an industry in creating environments where people want to be. And so when we're building these early stage brands, Barbara, one of the reasons that people are so important is, you know, it's easy to execute to a lot of the operational challenges compared to the people piece. If you can create that kind of powerful alignment within your company and your team, everyone starts rowing in the same direction. And suddenly a lot of those other problems seem to fix themselves. We get creative solutions, right, for things like supply chain shortages. We get people paying attention to pricing issues and alerting management. You know, it's kind of magical to see kind of how it unfolds when you can make it happen correctly. So what role does technology play in all of this, particularly as you're dealing with a demographic 16 to 34, that's very tech savvy. Um, and, you know, how how do you engage with them both as a as a staff member mm-hmm. and as a guest? Yeah. So I, I think that if you have not yet kind of embraced the technology and are thinking about it as a tech stack within your restaurant, you're already missing the boat. So, you know, a lot of folks were late adopters of delivery and even loyalty programs until the pandemic. And we've definitely compressed probably a decade's worth of consumer behavior into a two-year period. And now we're seeing this massive influx of private equity and investment and venture capital into tech for restaurants. And so now we're almost getting flooded with too much technology. Um, What we do is try to look at this as practical tools. If we can use technology to make certain elements of the restaurant more effective and efficient, and it's an elegant solution, we will do it. But one of the things that I'm adamant about is they have to talk to each other. In some cases, that means we have to layer our own proprietary platform over all of these data platforms to pull it all into one dashboard, which, you know, from our perspective, you have to be able to connect sales to loyalty, to food costs, to you know, wage and hourly rates. I mean, you kind of have to see a holistic view of the restaurant. I think that's important. So we don't add technology just for technology's sake. We add it to 
add efficiency and elegant solutions into the operations side. On the customer and employee side, I think there are a couple of different technology solutions we are looking at and pushing from other industries into our restaurants to create community digitally within the restaurant. So that's a way for you to access your traditional benefits, your non-traditional benefits like free coffee, childcare, gas money, all those different things that we offer to employees, but create a forum for a discussion, help with scheduling tasks and sw switching schedules, et cetera, so that there's a forum there that really feels more like a digital version of the, the community that exists within the restaurant. And I think similarly, loyalty programs are evolving in that direction too, where you're not just, you're not just talking directly from brand to customer, but you're seeing that there's customer affinity groups, even within the loyalty program itself, where you have a limited availability to or ability to interact with other customers who are like you and have some kind of community build up around a loyalty program from a customer perspective is really interesting as well. It's kind of like taking social media and crossing it with loyalty, right? I think there's an intersection there that we haven't really fully explored and unlocked as an industry and is, and is coming our way very quickly from the things that I've seen. <laughs> So when you were talking before about chicken salad chick, um, mm -hmm. you mentioned that, you know, before people even walked in the door, they had a connection to the mm -hmm. brand. So how important is a brand's digital presence right now? You know, I think because we were all slammed into the digital category when we were stuck at home, it kind of catapulted it to the top of the list. Now, I will say that it's an important part of a brand's, you know, ability to communicate and reach. But one of the most challenging things for every brand that I see right now is, okay, you got to be clear on the brand purpose, the brand mission, and the brand story. I think you need to be out there talking about it, living it, exemplifying it. It can't just live in a somewhat sterile digital environment. But the two things rather need to reinforce each other. So I think one of the powerful things, just to use the chick as the example, was Stacy was a wonderful example and was out talking and communicating about the brand. People heard her on podcasts. People saw her on TV. And it was reinforced by our Facebook presence, our Instagram account, right? Our interactions with our customers in the restaurant. All of that kind of, you know, emphasis on enriching the lives of our customers was pervasive through everything. That is really hard to accomplish, especially at scale. And I think for us, the challenge is always start with your why. If you can get locked into that, it really informs the brand story. And then it becomes the filter for everything you post. It becomes the filter through every digital strategy what you're putting in your loyalty program as rewards. And for us, that's a filter, if that makes sense. That's really how we look at it. And that's how we make it feel congruent across all platforms. So you, let's talk about growth. I want to talk about, you know, scalability and all of that. So you have something on your website that talks about the three steps of restaurant mm -hmm. growth. So can you yeah. kind of go over what these three steps are so that if, if, you know, I guess on the, on the, if I was a restaurant owner who wanted to come mm -hmm. to you and, and understand all of this, what are those three steps? Yeah. So one of the early things that we noticed is that some of these brands 
you could pump money into them immediately and shoot the growth through the roof, but the wheels would come right off the bus. And there are some early things that we see often across many brands that necessitated us developing a program to address those issues prior to investment. So we have a three-step process. The first is restaurant optimization, which is pretty much exactly what it sounds like. Our team goes in and across financial operations, marketing, and people, we look for what we know to be the key foundational elements that you need to have a stable and solid business to be able to grow rapidly at scale. So we spend about three to six months. It depends on the client. And that is more, think of it as like a consulting engagement and it's very intense and you know we're getting to know each other as partners and at that time we also take the approach of hey you're getting to know us you're going to get to try us out as your partner before you ever have to let go of a single percent of equity before we ever put a dime in so it allows restaurateurs who have been usually the primary owner operator of the business to get used to what it feels like to have us next to them working towards that common goal. Our second phase is growth planning, and we take this very seriously. There is not a one-size-fits-all growth plan. We tend to grow all of our brands across four channels, but that mix looks different for everybody. So we do traditional brick-and-mortar company stores, non-traditional development into airports, stadiums, arenas, et cetera. We do franchising, and we do product development where we develop retail products for use out in the marketplace, for sale in the restaurants, and for use in our own kitchens. So that multifaceted approach doesn't always work for everybody, but we have to figure out not just what the recipe is for each different brand's growth, but what are the things that the owner operator has as their vision for the future? We spend a lot of time and we start that phase with a two-day retreat where we focus on their why, what their vision was for the future, all the crazy ideas, good, bad, and ugly they've ever had for the brand. And we workshop and we start with the end in mind. From there, we do a six-module growth plan and we work together as a team to not only develop the people chart over five years in the leadership team, the marketing plan and the brand book, the financial strategy, of course, and the operational scale. But, you know, we put it all together in a package that becomes the growth plan with a capital G and a capital P. That point, we are ready for investment. We walk that growth plan over to our fund where the fund agrees to put the requisite capital in for that growth plan to be fully executed once that's invested, then we flip over into development mode and the project gets handed over to our development team while our operations team is continually supporting the business. So now you've got both sides of full course working to support your growth and your daily operations. That is a really key hallmark of our investment strategy. We recognize how hard it is to operate restaurants and develop them at the same time. They're two very different skill sets. I did both <laughs> when I was with my chick units and it almost killed me. You know, there's not many people who can say that humbly, but it almost broke me. It was a lot. It was a lot, a lot, a lot. And, you know, I really believe in setting up owners for success means that they are the best folks to run their business 
We want to help shape them into the next generation of restaurant leadership and give them all the tools they need to succeed and their team, including our education platform. But then we have our development team like focused like a laser beam on executing that growth strategy. And that's, you know, product development support, franchise sales, some development support. That's, you know, just the, the nuts and bolts of building a unit, you know, contractors, architects, designers, supply chain, all of it. So that is really our true, you know, value add as a partner. We're not just bringing the capital to the table, but it's coaching and capital. So is there a difference in growth and growing, going the franchise route and why you would recommend somebody franchising? Um, is there something different about the brand itself that makes that make sense? Yeah, you know, so we look for brands that have an elegant simplicity to their execution that would make them appropriate for franchising. Not all brands are as easy to franchise. The more complex the kitchen operations, for example, the harder it is to kind of grow at scale for franchising. Just you got to find the right qualified franchisees. From an investment perspective, there's a reason that private equity all over the U.S. and internationally loves franchising for growth. Franchise royalties generally receive 14 to 17 as a multiple on those royalty streams because they're treated as an annuity. They're backed by a 15 to 20 year franchise agreement. So they're viewed as more stable. And so when you consider the return on that versus the multiple you would get on a company store, it's pretty clear to see in the general marketplace why a lot of brands scale rapidly choosing franchising as an option. There's not as much of a capital investment from the you know, equity owners in the company, and you can have you know, multiple locations and kind of scale a little bit more aggressively with really huge returns on that royalty stream, either at valuation or exit. So we consider franchising, Barbara, to be a major piece of our development strategy. We're very clear with that with our clients, and we explain these economics to them. Again, you know, it's more than just giving someone the playbook. You know, I can explain these economics to people all day long, but you have to coach and walk them through what it is to set up a franchise what the impact on their operations is going to be, how many more headcount, what's the overall cost going to be, when can we expect to see a return, how are the company stores that are going to contribute during that time, where are the training stores going to be. You can, you can see how it just gets so complex. So I think that franchising is a wonderful tool. It really is. And as both a franchisor and a franchisee, I will tell you, I deeply believe in the entrepreneurial spirit with which it was founded and which it was created really in the United States. Um, I just believe in doing it right. So for us, that usually means there are at least three to four company stores before we franchise. We have the system down to a science. We have the support staff to support the franchise offering. And we're there for our franchisees from day one, just like they're a partner to us at every level. So before you mentioned products mm -hmm. um, and how, you know, how important is or, you know, thinking of the product mix that mm -hmm. a restaurant may have, you know, they may make a really cool sauce, um, but they never thought about going that route. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how important is that in kind of differentiating what they do? Yeah. So 
Huge, because for a lot of restaurants, you know, we jokingly call it their secret sauce, but really it is. It's a sauce or a mix or a marinade, and it's something that sets apart those core like proteins that everyone's using and those those key elements on the menu um, to make sure that they are differentiated in the marketplace, right? So when you're thinking about product development, I actually like to think about it as manufacturing. So if you were going to take something in the kitchen that requires, you know, maybe a secret recipe, a lot of labor, um, some very important scalability, and you turned it into a product that can be manufactured, then it's really important to think about, okay, if you manufacture this, what is going to happen? Okay, we're going to run a line, we're going to have a batch. And then that batch, a third of it is going to go to company store operations and to our franchisees where they can use it in the kitchen and remove kind of the burden of high labor. They can create consistency and quality. You know, a third of it can go to retail at market where it becomes a brand marketing tool. Imagine the power of having that brand loyalty where you open the refrigerator and every day at eye level, folks are seeing your brand name. It is a massive marketing tool even when people are facing the high costs and fees of being in a retail environment. You know, and third and most importantly, it's another sales tool, even in the restaurants themselves. So you can sell that CPG product within the restaurant and have that additional sales lift even within the restaurant itself. So yes, definitely look for the availability of those products. But I'll tell you, the reality is almost every brand has at least three to five. It's not hard for me to find. I can walk in and kind of just stand in the kitchen and look, identify the bottlenecks, find the high volume custom recipe items, and really kind of figure it out. Right. So, um, you know, there's so much going on with everything that, you, that you're doing. Um, and, you know, I see so many restaurants that, you know, have a great product and they're one restaurant and they and they talk about growing, um, but they don't get to that point because they're still taking it all on their shoulders and they're doing it. Um, is is that a possibility or should they always kind of reach out to someone like you to kind of pick their brains on on all the things that make sense and um, and, you know, and learn from someone else's experience as opposed to trying to do everything? Um, look, I, I have seen folks have tremendous success in finding a bottler. I think what I'll say is when the product is sort of in a standard category where there are a lot of co-packers already, a common example would be like a barbecue sauce. It is not hard pretty much anywhere in the U.S. to find someone within your state that will do a barbecue sauce that's tweaked to your recipe. So they're taking their machine and their standard recipe and altering it to your flavor profile. That if you're an independent restaurateur and you're looking to scale and you have a need for this, there's it's not hard to actually do that. You know, and there are some really key steps, but a good manufacturing partner will have packaging, will assist you in label design, you know, will do R&D with you up front and let you kind of run and test the product on the line and make sure it's what you want. You know, of course there's some capital investment in that. 
What I would tell folks is before you pull the trigger on something like this, consider whether or not you have the market for it. So are you using enough volume in the restaurant? Do you think there's enough demand for sales at retail and in the store as sales? Because there will be, of course, a capital expenditure related to this type of product development. For most restaurateurs, it makes sense around like units three to five is what I would say, usually. So- how do you feel or why do you feel that, um, you know, the dream of running a restaurant and owning a restaurant is still, you know, so alive? There's still so many people who mm-hmm. are wanting to go in this business and work in this business. Um, so what, you know, what about it excites you and why do you and why do you think that excites so many other people out there? I was absolutely floored in the beginning of this year and even part of last year, the business license applications for food and beverage establishments shot through the roof. And I think there were a couple of reasons. One is, you know, we had the great resignation and a lot of people were looking to make a life change and make a career change and to go follow that dream. Two, I think they there was a perception, right or wrong, that there would be a lot of available used equipment, second generation restaurant spaces, et cetera, in the marketplace, which actually could not be farther from the truth at this point. Real estate's really tough still. Um, and three, I think fundamentally, a lot of us as human beings connect through people with food. Food is a shared experience um, and it is a cultural bridge. And so for a lot of folks that we talk to, they view the food as a way to share and that expression of love for their fellow humans. They want to share their cultural point of view, um, their mother's recipes, their grandmother's recipes, and they want that to be a connector. Um, I think it's really about a deeper human connection. And I will submit to you that all of the restaurateurs I have ever seen of almost every walk share one thing in common. They have a servant's heart. They may not call it that, but they are in service to others in what they're doing. And they may have their own way of doing it, but I don't know another reason to get up every morning and do what we do because it's not easy. And it's not, it's certainly challenging right now with labor and supply chain issues and You know, are we even post-pandemic yet? There's just so much weight on us still that you get up and you keep fighting that fight. It's because you have a deep love for people. This is a people industry. We're not actually a food industry. We're a people industry who sells food. (laughs) (laughs) So where do you see full course uh, growing uh, and what do you hope to see within the next few years? Yeah, so we have some big plans. I have been absolutely humbled with the amount of demand for what we're doing and our unique approach to partnership and investment with early stage restaurant brands. We have some really big plans to do early stage incubation with folks who don't even have that first brick and mortar open yet. Our first fund is a $20 million fund and will be raised by the end of the year. And that will be dedicated to five to seven clients, um, some of which are already in our pipeline. And so we'll be announcing some early investments probably in the third quarter this year. So we're very excited about that. And we're already looking towards the second fund, uh, which will be substantially larger because we have just been overwhelmed with support, um, not only from the industry, um, I think, but from other funds. 
and other um, philanthropic organizations who realize the enormous impact that we have on local communities when we support early stage restaurant growth economically, um, and also from a cultural diversity and inclusion standpoint that we're really trying to change that in our industry has attracted a lot of attention. Um, and I'm very humbled by that. So I think our second fund that we announce next year will be significantly larger, have a very similar agenda, um, but will allow us to deploy capital a little more rapidly and fill the needs of our pipeline. Perfect. Thank you so much. This was great.